You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. Now that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. Yeah. Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that down, you Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? Hey, buddy, what's going on? Oh, man, I feel bad, Shane. I'll let the listeners in on a little backstory <laughs> here. But, uh, Shane, you've been killing it at work. You've been, I don't, uh-huh. I don't know if you've had a day off in two weeks here, but. Uh... Well, I, that's it, man. I, I took one day off. I had to go to the doctor and then get back to work. It called me in. So mm-hmm. that's, that's just, take. you got to make hay while the sun is shining, Mike. Yeah, so it's clearly the off season, not a ton going on. So I wanted to. I was like, "Hey, I'm gonna give cousin Shane the week off. Doesn't have to fool around with uh, me." Called him every day. Hey, you want to do a pod? You want to do a pod? But we had some big news. I had to get your thoughts on it because I think your reaction will be very similar to everybody in the SEC. And of course, what I'm talking about here: Alabama has announced Nick Saban has signed a contract extension through the 2028 college football season. If he <laughs> if he lasts that long, he'll be 77 <laughs> years old, down there in Tuscaloosa, probably have nine more national championships. Uh, thoughts on Nick Saban? Just, I mean, when is, uh, when is he going to start looking like Bobby Bowden and Joe Paterno over here? I mean, the guy's Never. aging the wrong way. You know what? Never, never. I don't know what they got in that water down there in Tuscaloosa, Mike, but I'm telling you right now, you know, if you listen to our first podcast we ever did, we talked about Nick Saban retiring. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And what I'm afraid of, Mike, is in 10 years from now, we're still going to have the damn podcast of us talking about Nick Saban retiring. Like, have we ever had a coach 100 years old? I don't know, but Nick's going to be our guy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So part of me, part of me, okay, so here's what happens when I hear this news. Part of me is like, okay, of course they got to do this, you know, because you got every head coach in the country. I mean, 
going into these living rooms, talking to these kids, saying, hey, listen, I'm, the, every coach that is recruiting a Nick Saban player knows exactly how old he is and when his birthday is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because, and I think it's like what? It's like Halloween or something. Yeah, right? it like is. The yeah. end of October. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I know, I don't even know my own coach's birthday or how old he is, but I know how old Nick Saban is. And that means every time they go on a recruiting trail, they're coming in there saying, hey, listen, they're going to get rid of his old ass here before long. You know, Nick's, uh, you know, he's, he wants to win one more so he can be the best coach ever. And then he's out and you're going to be stuck with some backup coach. You don't want to be that guy, you know. And then what does Tuscaloosa, what, is, what does Alabama do? They say, hey, let's give him an extension. Let's show them that Nick Saban's going to be sticking around for a while. So part of me does that, Mike, part of me on my shoulder. And now the other side, because I've been hurt so long and I can't believe he didn't retire last year, even with a pandemic floating around, I thought Terry would say, get your ass off the field and get at the house. Enough's enough. But no, he goes back to work. So part of me is like, you know what? This could be legit, man. This could, I, I could, could I see another six years with seven years with Nick Saban? Yeah. Why now? What's what's going to slow us down? He's done hip replacement. He beat COVID twice last year. The man's going to live forever, Mike. Yeah, and you hit on an interesting point. I mean, I threw it out there as soon as uh, this was announced. It kind of made me think we got old Arch Manning coming up. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the Manning family, you know how meticulous they are. And, you know, they're going to go every, over everything with a fine comb. And, mm-hmm. and they, they got to think. You know, can we send him to Alabama if Nick Saban's not going to be there? I'm not saying that Alabama extended Nick Saban just for Arch Manning, but mm-hmm. you had to know in the back of their mind that they knew putting this out there was going to help themselves with that recruitment. It, are you buying into that at all? <laughs> well, you throw out a video of throwing football at Clemson, you know, little things <laughs> change, you know. <laughs> Oh, if anybody didn't see it, there's a video floating around. Throw like a 50 yard dime, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he looks apart, Mike. I tell you what, I've been recruiting this kid since he was four years old, and uh, I'm ready for him to come up here to University of Tennessee. But I know it's going to be a tall order, and uh, you know, this is just this is the guy. This is the one, you know, similar to Tua. Uh, I, I who would you compare this to? Like, I I don't know. Can you who can you compare him to? I, I don't think the, I don't think you can't maybe uh, maybe Eli himself you know just as as, as great as Peyton was mm-hmm. you know uh, his uncle is probably the the only comparison that I can think of in recent years where it's just there's going to be a a hot train behind this kid I mean they're gonna they're gonna want to give him the Heisman year one so this is a big recruit and I don't know if this had a, a part to do with it but you know how do you how do you you reel in a quarterback like that that's going to be around. Well, you tell him and the nation that you're going to be here in 2028 when he graduates. Right. Now, what is it, if anything, what do you think it'll take for Nick Saban to maybe, you know, maybe lose three or four games in a season? And then maybe says, well, hell, maybe I don't have it anymore. But, I mean, at this point, it just seems like if he were to drop a couple, that would just motivate mm-hmm. him more to, to come back and prove everybody wrong. But – I don't know. Is is there any way you could see Nick Saban? I don't want to say not honoring this because it, if he decides to walk away, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be mad at him after everything he's done for Alabama. But is there a crack in the armor there that you could see him walking away? 
Well, you know, I trust me, I've played many, many scenarios in my head, Mike, on how, how the final games of Nick Saban are going to transpire. <laughs> and part of me thinks about, you know, Johnny Majors and health issues, you know, and I'm not putting any evil on them, you know, but we had a couple scares last year. So is there going to be something uh, health-wise that he gets older and maybe he steps away midseason or something along those lines? And then part of me's like, well, does he – does he go the old ball coach route and say, you know what, I'm losing, I'm getting the hell out of here, you know? Does he do that? I, I don't I don't think so. I think I, I always took Nick Saban as a leave on top kind of guy. Right. And 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 I thought last year was going to be the year, uh, because there was you know, I mean it was, it was a perfect season. And it was uh it was a national championship, but I think I think he's one more national championship away. And I don't know if that's just wishful thinking, but I, I just have a feeling that it's gonna he's gonna wanna leave on top of this mountain and, and you know what happens when he wins another national championship, right? I think he'll pass everybody, right? Exactly. He's he's the king. He goes out on top. So I think that's what he's going for. He's gotta go. He's a goal driven man and uh so if I were thinking of scenarios of Nick Saban getting out of here, and it's all or nothing, but you know he he doesn't want to he doesn't want to taint that that you know that record either. I, I I think if he does go through a season with two or three losses, I I think looking at his roster, I think he would take a hard look and say, hey, where, where's this heading? You know, and he's been in around this game long enough to know if he's got a ball club or not. And what happens? Just throwing this out there. What if, uh, what if Ole Miss passes by Alabama here in a year or two, mm-hmm. and then they make that call to the lane train? Say, come on. <laughs> would they ever? I mean, God forbid. Would they ever push Nick Saban out to get, you know, the hottest? I don't know if it'll be Kiffin, but let's just throw that out there because it's in division. It makes it more interesting. But could they ever push him out? You think for an elite coach to come in there and and uh, lead the Crimson Tide? Hey, the fact of the matter, Mike, is is as money talks and bullshit walks. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And if if University of Alabama, they if they've shown us anything, is that they're willing to spend money for nice things. And if they think Lane Kiffin is that nice thing, it would uh, no doubt in my mind they're going to go down there and pick up uh, the Kiffin train. And I'm sure it'd be lucrative, and it would have to be almost. I know it sounds crazy, but you'd almost have to pay him more than Nick Saban, I would think, especially if things are going well down in Ole Miss, because here you got to convince a coach to come in there and sit in the shadows of the of the greatest head coach of all time. So it's going to be a tall order. So whoever they bring in, and, and I know right now it's kind of hard to predict because we don't know the future of Saban himself, but whoever they bring in will be a big name. But they're going to have to bring the damn bank to them too, because that's 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 going to be one of the that will be the toughest job in the country, man. What are the odds it's Jeremy Pruitt? God, slim to none. <laughs> remember, remember when that was a thing? Yeah, that ship sailed about two years ago, Mike. <laughs> oh, he's got a better chance of coaching at Hoover than he does Tuscaloosa. <laughs> All right, so that's all we got uh, before we kick it over to we've got a really good interview lined up here with uh, Jordy Collada, of course, of uh, the Jordy Collada Show, LSU Insider. This is really, really good stuff, not only for LSU fans, but I 
tried to ask him a couple of, uh, there's an Auburn question here and a Reed Gilbert for Georgia fans. So uh, I think the listeners are really going to appreciate this one. All right. Well, we're pleased now to be joined by Jordy Collada, one of the best in Baton Rouge. Of course, you can follow him, must follow, not only for LSU fans, but just SEC fans in general, at Jordy Collada. He's the host of the Jordy Collada Show, which airs every weekday from 7 to 9. And you can catch it on YouTube, too. That's how I love to watch it. He's got his own studio there. Head on over to JordyColladaShow.com. Jordy, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Mike, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate being here. Yeah, so, hey, man, there's been so much news here in Baton Rouge the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, let's just go with uh, kind of the big topic here with the football program. Offensive line coach James Craig, how surprised were you that uh, up in the middle of the week uh, just dismissed leading into a a big recruiting weekend there in Baton Rouge? Well, look, I think it took a lot of people by surprise. Um, And, you know, for that job to open up, I think that there's possibly some more that could come out on that just because of the timing. But, you know, the, the, the timing being so awkward and, and, and confusing to be able to bring in a guy uh, like Brad Davis, I, I thought was, was, you know, just a, a big time coup for, for Ed Ogeron and the LSU offense. I mean, Davis being a Baton Rouge guy, understanding the SEC, having working uh, in Missouri and at Arkansas and under a guy like Sam Pittman, who's got a great reputation when it comes to offensive line and, and teaching that unit, teaching that position group. Um, you know, Davis is, has made no secret that he loves South Louisiana. He loves Baton Rouge. Uh, obviously, going up here and and graduating high school before moving on to Oklahoma and winning a national championship as a freshman with the Sooners and you know really paying paying his dues in the coaching ranks. I mean, the guy's been all over the place. I mean, he started at Southern Lab, a high school here locally, and you know worked his way into the SEC. And I, and I don't think that you know that was that, that was by accident. I mean, he worked hard and he, he's paid his dues, and now uh, he's he's at his dream job and. He's got great relationships on the recruiting trail already built in, uh, and and he's he's pretty good when it comes to the technique uh, of teaching offensive line play. So uh, as far as the timing was concerned with James Craig, it was very confusing and very uh, you know awkward as far as the calendar goes. But to be able to make that move at the beginning of June and replace him with a guy like Davis is 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 about as good as you can do. Yeah, so let me ask you, do you think this is an upgrade? Because I know Brad Davis, very well respected. I believe he had an offer to go to Southern Cal here recently. Turn that down. If you're an offensive line coach for Sam Pittman, I got to feel like, uh, you know, you're an elite class position coach there. So, and, I, you know, this kind of mixed reviews on James Craig. But, you know, let's give him credit. His 2019 offensive line was the Joe Moore Award winner. So, would you say this is an upgrade, or is it maybe too early to tell for LSU? Well, I think it's going to be an immediate upgrade on the recruiting trail. I think that Craig, for as good as he was, you know, in the classroom and on the on the practice field, and he came with a lot of accolades, being an NFL guy. He was a part of that Super Bowl Fifty win for the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning, and you know, he's really able to to, to show that stuff off when it came to on the field tutorials. But when it came to recruiting, I mean, he swung and missed. Uh, you know, just too many times. I mean, there was too many opportunities to bring guys in. He just wasn't able to capitalize on. And I think when you look at Davis, he's, you know, a guy that can instantly upgrade in in that rank alone, you know, in that, in that position, uh, you know, when you talk about recruiting that responsibility uh, immediately. 
So, you know, I think that it is uh, an upgrade when you talk about, you know, overall checking more boxes. Craig, a, a really good on-the-field coach and, you know, good, good job with, with, with building relationship with his players and, and, and really, you know, you never heard uh, any type of, of, of negative feedback when it came to Craig and, and his coaching style. It was just that he, was, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't close in recruiting. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't bring in the big-time guys. And, and, and really for some of the young guys that they brought in, there's, there, there's been some, you know, some, some wondering of, of when these guys are going to develop. I mean, for, for LSU to return all of that experience on the offensive line that they bring back this year was really – uh, you know, when you when you talk about a little bit of luck, I mean, they had it on their side when when those guys decided to come back and and COVID offering up another season because you know they they, they have some they have some dire straight problems when you look at the depth of the offensive line just of 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 unanswered questions. You you you've really got some talent back there, but you've got some guys who have yet to prove it, uh, and they really need to. It's it, it's their time now, so. Um, it'll it'll be interesting how Davis can come in and recruit it and coach it because you know Craig coached it well, uh, but but Davis is going to bring in some high end talent. Now, when Craig was let go last week on your show again, the Jordy Collada show, you noted that uh, Ed Orgeron may be running out a little bit of goodwill here when it comes to his hires. You know, he's he's had some grand slams, he's had some strikeouts. So, can you kind of expand about that on on just where you think Coach O is when? In terms of because uh, James Craig was a coacho guy, so you know what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, here's the deal on Ogeron. When he took the job, he told you what his responsibility was going to be, and he looked at this thing kind of like a a CEO's type role, where he can oversee the recruiting and make sure that the talent is coming in, but he's going to put together a coaching staff of bright minds of guys that really develop scheme. And, and make sure that they're prepared from X and O standpoint every week. And at times he's done that, but it's only really been when his back's been against the wall. And in other times he's hired very comfortably. And, you know, I've been very critical of Les Miles. Some people would say probably overly critical. Sometimes I probably go out of my way to be critical of him. <laughs> but one of the things that I used to pound him on was the fact that he treated LSU football like a fraternity where he would bring in his guys, his boys. He would hire, you know, guys that he grew up with. I, I, you know, I'll never forget he led the, the Cam Cameron press conference off with, you know, both of us stood in each other's wedding. Well, you know, I mean, who cares? I mean, this is you, – you're here to win football games. And Ogeron, you know, it, it kind of felt like that over the past couple of seasons, especially after he won that championship. And, you know, Joe Brady was taking NFL jobs, and he was letting George Munoz leave. For, for wide receiver coaching jobs at Baylor. I mean, guys that were connected to that coaching tree, guys that were connected to that success, he was letting go and bringing in guys like Scott Linehan and Bo Pelini and, you know, guys that he would go on to admit that he didn't even interview. And, you know, for that, that alone, I mean, you know, that, that to me is, is, is borderline insubordination when, when you talk about what the responsibility of that seat and that chair is and, and bringing in the guys and the leaders to make sure that they're coaching up that, you know, the, the defense and the offense and uh, to keep that train rolling. I mean, to me, that's, that's kind of his responsibility because that's what he said it was when he was introduced as the coach, uh, you know, just over a little bit of four years ago. And you can, you can feel that in the community and the public. I mean, there's kind of a, a roller coaster ride of confidence with, with Ogeron where, you know, you, you, you see things like the recruiting and him bringing in just, just talented guys each year and year in, year out. And he's, 
he's can you know he he's done a really nice job of of, of building the wall back around the state where it, you know it's tough for guys like Saban and Jimbo Fisher and Kirby Smart to to break into Louisiana and and get key guys and you know Saban got a running back out of Baton Rouge over the weekend but you know for the most part he's had to fight and claw to to, to get guys out of here while Ogeron's been the coach but then you know you see some of the public relations you see some of the swings and misses on the coaching staff and you know you 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 really you you're curious on how confident you can be for the stability of the long term uh of the program this is a huge year for him this is an enormous year because they you know they weren't able to capitalize on the fundraising trail of 2019's national championship success i mean as soon as that they they hoisted the trophy uh, you know the, the the pandemic hit and and closed everybody in for for over a year and and in that year you know they looked like they they were lost I mean it looked like the wheels were falling off so a lot of people are 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 a little hesitant to to be all in on LSU football right now so this is an enormous year for for the long term and the stability under Ogeron and what it could look like I mean remember Scott Woodward who's the athletics director down here. He didn't hire Ed Ogeron, and and his biggest reputation, his you know his best skill set, is is bringing in top talent. We've seen him hire Kim Mulkey. He's got the responsibility of hiring an LSU baseball coach on his desk right now, and he looks at the LSU football program as you know the golden goose that pays for all of it. And if there is some 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 hesitancy in in top boosters and money people. On, on the direction under the leadership of Ogeron, he's he's going to react to that. Um, so it's a, it's it's a big big year for for Ed Ogeron. And so, what is just the importance of this opener at UCLA? I mean, I would imagine the damn the meltdown factor would be incredible if LSU got upset against UCLA. There, it would be it, it would be a a, a a big time melt. But I think that it's it it could be overcome because of the I, I, and look I don't think that he's in trouble that type of trouble mm-hmm. where he could lose the opener and lose his job I mean he's got enough equity built up where he's you know he, he's he's got enough confidence that that they'll get him the season but this season is going to be big now if he comes out and, and lays an egg in the opener against UCLA well he stacked his back up against the wall and you know look, look let me let me put on record and say that that is usually when Ed Ogeron does his best work mm-hmm. I mean if you look at 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 over the, the the life of his coaching life, uh, you know, career, uh, he's really had a lot of success when people have counted him out. Uh, and not to say that people are counting him out because you can look around the country and see that national writers are really giving LSU's roster a lot of respect and the respect that it deserves going into the season. So he'll have expectation. Uh, I think that they'll probably pick him second in the West behind Alabama, right ahead, Texas A&M. If it's not Texas A&M behind him, they'll be right in front of him. So, you know, I mean, that, that there will be expectation to compete for an SEC Western Division title this season um, in, in Baton Rouge. And, and, and you know, the, the ticket-buying public uh, here in, at LSU will expect him to, to, to be competitive this season. Now, how similar do you think the offense is going to look compared to 2019 when you got guys like Jake Peets and, and DJ Mangus and even George Munoz back on the coaching staff in Baton Rouge, all guys with ties to Joe Brady. Do you think we're, we're going back to basically what was run in 2019? I do. And I think that, that that's a very wise decision. You know, I think that, 
that that is uh, you know that that's the promises he made when 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 he was introduced as the coach. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, it was almost like you almost have to build this thing like a farm system where if they you know if Baylor takes Dave Aranda and Carolina takes Joe Brady, well you've got the understudies already built in line. Like DJ Mangus was here. Manga should have got this job two years ago. Munoz was here. He should have gotten that job two years ago. Um, and, you know, if you can get into that type of, uh, of cyclical, uh, you know, type of, of, of movement where you're just kind of feeding them up where, you know, I mean, look, I, I anticipate Jake Peets and Durante Jones, for that matter, the offensive and defensive coordinator. Both those guys have NFL pedigree, have NFL, uh, you know, have NFL on their resume. And, you know, once you taste that NFL life where you don't have to recruit, a lot of guys want to go back there. So if they get opportunities in the next couple of seasons to jump back to, to Sundays, there should, there should be guys in line at LSU ready to take over and, and take those spots because of, of, of what, you know, that, that, that Ogeron is, is building there. But when, to answer your question on Pete's and Mangas, I do think that the offense looks much more like 2019 just because that's the style that those guys grew up in. You know, I mean, look, Steve Ensminger is a smart football coach. That guy has forgotten more football than I'll ever know. But when you force feed the spread offense down his throat, it's tough for him to digest it because he comes from a style of, of offense that he's learned, played, coached for over 40 years. So when you bring in a new style and a new package and ask him to learn new terminology and formations and, you know, keys to, to what people are reading, he can get it, but, you know, I mean, there's going to be a period of time of, of him having to learn it. For a guy like Jake Peets, for a guy like DJ Mangus, they don't know anything else. This is the only offense they've ever grown up in. This is the terminology they've always gone by. These are the formation they've, all, they've, they've always seen. So, I mean, you've you got to bring guys in that really understand it like that. That's what Joe Brady was like. I mean, when, you know, the, the tale around Baton Rouge is that the first meeting between Burrow and Brady you know, it was like 30 seconds in and it was love at first sight because they spoke the same language. I mean, they spoke the same terminology. It was the offense that, that Joe was running at Athens High School when, when he was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Brady was running that stuff when, when he was growing up and when, when he was coming up in the coaching tree and they sit down in a room together and Brady said, this is what I, I expect. This is what I want. And you know, Burrow, I think, like, stood up and gave him a hug. I mean, it was something like that they had found each other. I mean, it was, you know, like football soulmates finding one another. And, um, you know, I, I, that's what Jake, that's what Max Johnson grew up in. That's what Miles Brennan grew up in. That's what Garrett Nussmeyer grew up in. So, I mean, we talked to Walker Howard this morning on, on our show. I mean, that's what he's grown up in. So when Jake Peets and DJ Mangus, they talked to those guys, it's very easy conversation. It's very comfortable conversation because that's what they've been doing their whole life. I'm glad you uh, talked about the quarterbacks here because I, I got to ask you, who do you think wins that job? I know a, a lot can change between now and the start of the season, but you going Miles Brennan or, or Max Johnson? I've been riding the Max Johnson horse here for, for, for a while, and I, I think that, that he's the guy. And, and, and to tell you quite frankly, I don't think it's close. I really don't. I think when and, and I respect what Miles Brennan brings to a football team. And he's got as live as an arm as you will find in the SEC and in college football here in 2021. He can make every throw. He, he's got an NFL arm. But when you talk about putting pressure on defenses, 
and, and asking somebody to game plan for LSU, well, Max Johnson makes it more difficult. He gives you more options if you're LSU. He's a better athlete. And um, look at the way they finished the season under him. Look at the way he played. I mean, to, to, to go into the swamp for your first start. Now, I know that there was nobody there, but there was a really good football team on the field mm-hmm. that, that was playing for, for you know, postseason hope. And, and Johnson goes in there as a true freshman, unfazed, and, and leads LSU to a win, and then comes home the next week against Ole Miss and, and sets school records in throwing the ball. Uh, I think he's got, a, he's got a pedigree to him that I'll, I'll never compare or expect the quarterback position to produce anything like Joe Burrow did in 2019, but when you look at the way that he's built, he's a coach's son. Brad Johnson coaches the game. He played the game for a long time. He grew up in that environment. Um, he, he's a film junkie. He loves the game. It's almost like the game doesn't start until he gets hit. You know, he's a physical style of player, uh, much like Joe was. Um, and I just think that he's, he's the best guy for the job. I I think he gives LSU the best chance to win. And when you watch them play side by side, I I don't think it's close. You know, I, I think that he's a playmaker. His, his, his teammates love him. And this is not a discount on Brennan to say that, you know, because they do this for Johnson, that they don't do that for Miles. I'm just saying it's very clear when four teams in the game for LSU, they just look a click or two better. What did you think about uh, T.J. Finley jumping to Auburn? And I think he announced his decision about 10 minutes later. He was on your show. So I know you got the insight there. What what did you think of that move? Well, I don't don't think it surprised a lot of people that, you know, that that quarterback room was was as, as crowded as it's been at LSU, man, since a lot of people can even remember. I mean, for me, it, it goes back to 2006 with Jamarcus Russell, Matt Flynn, and Ryan Perilou. Um, you know, I mean, that, that's how far you got to go back to talk about the type of talent that they had in the room coming out of spring. So you knew one guy was going to be odd man out. I think when you looked at the, the, the tea leaves through spring and then some people got a, a glimpse at the spring game, you know, it looked evident that it was a two-horse race for the competition. And T.J. Finley brings a lot to a team. You know, he brings starting experience in a league. He brings size and stature that you just really can't find. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned Jamarcus Russell. His size is, is very comparable to Jamarcus. I mean, 6'5", 260, he's, he's at – I mean, he is a uh, – when he stands in the pocket, you know, he's a piece of cement back there. I mean, you've got to really get after him to take him down. I mean, I've seen people bounce off of him. And, you know, he can move for as big as he is, but, I mean, his skill set is his – his ability to throw the ball. I mean, he's got one of those wrist flick motions where the ball just zips out of his hand. And for a team like Auburn, who, who's going through an identity change and a coaching change, um, you know, somebody that really recruited him hard coming out of high school a couple of years back, uh, it's an opportunity to start in the league in the SEC. Um, and I think deep down there was a, you know, there, there was a desire to play a little bit against LSU, uh, you know, to, 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 to compete against the school that, that he feels like he, 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 he could have started at. Um, but, you know, I think that it, it, it's, it, it worked out for everybody. You know, I think that it was a, it was a choice and, and a decision that, that everybody will, will, will be better for. And, and, and Finley, I think, we'll have a, I think he'll have a chance to start this season with, with Harson being there and, and, and you know, the, the instability of Bo Nix and, you know, him you know, not really being able to, to, to grasp that job and really own it. You know, I think a guy like Finley, all he needs is a crack from a competitive standpoint 
And, you know, he's the type of kid that once he gets it, he's going to be tough to, 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 to sit down just because he's going to have everybody's respect. I mean, teammates are going to love him. Coaches are going to love him because he's going to work hard. and He's not going to make any excuses. You know, he's going to go out there and he'll take his lumps, but, um, you know, he'll, once he gets it, you know, he's a playmaker. So I, I expect him to, to, to really put a lot of pressure on Knicks for that job going into the season. And I expect him to get an opportunity at some point here, um, you know, in, in, in his first season on the Plains. What did you think of Eric Gilbert going to Georgia? Was, is that a blow to LSU, or were they just kind of ready to wash their hands of that whole saga? Well, both. You know, I, I look, Eric Gilbert makes anybody who he plays for a better football team. But, you know, the, the, the personal side of Gilbert, um, while at, at points very sad and, 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 you know, from LSU standpoint, very hopeful that he can take care of and, 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 and get his mental health on track, uh, LSU is very, very much exhausted in, in, in their resources, in their efforts, in their energy. And, you know, for it to get down to the 11th hour like it did last week. And LSU really do a lot of legwork of, you know, setting him up academically, uh, academically to get him back on track, you know, really going, you know, above and beyond from the, 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 the mental health standpoint to make sure that he was uh, taken care of and that he was being paid attention to and, that, that things were going to, to, to hopefully work out for him on that side so he could become, you know, just a football player, a student athlete, and getting back on the field. LSU had done a, a lot of legwork for that uh, to lose him to Georgia, which it kind of seemed like that deal had been done for a while. Uh, you know, just left some people at LSU with a bad taste in their mouth. But I think very uh, in the same breath, it was refreshing to know that it was over. You know, just the the saga and the soap opera of – what, what is going to be with Arie Gilbert? Is he going to be eligible? Can he play? Is he going to play at LSU? Is he going to play at Florida? Is he going to play at Georgia? Where is he going to go? And, you know, I think a, a, another situation, while it did not work out for LSU, I think it works out, you know, for, for the, the student athlete. You're getting back close to home to his parents. I think that was, you know, something that, that, that really probably needed to happen, uh, especially here early on to get him back on track. And, you know, as far as LSU on the field, it hurts because you don't have a tight end coming in with, with his type of experience or his type of physique or his type of upside. Um, but, you know, I think that they have talent on the roster that they believe in, in Jake Peets and DJ Mangus's attack, that they have enough talent at that position to get some production there. They, they'd love to have Gilbert on the roster. Don't, don't, don't let me fool you. You know I mean? Again, he's, he, he makes you an, an instant better football team with him on the squad, but he had to take care of some stuff personally. To, to, to maximize his football ability. And, you know, LSU was trying to make that happen. And when it fell apart uh, last week, I think, you know, both sides were just ready to move on. All right, last thing for you, Jordy. I really appreciate all the time you've taken here. But I got to ask you about Arch Manning. And you just had Jeff Duncan on your show last week. If anybody has not seen that, go check it out. Uh, he just did a great piece on The Athletic about Arch Manning's recruitment. Do you see a realistic path where Arch – uh, you know, I know the family's ties to Ole Miss and everything, but do you see a chance of him ending up playing in LSU for Coach Ed Orgeron? You know, I think Joe Brady really gave LSU a, a big-time chance here a couple of years ago. You know, Brady was one of the first people that, that, that Arch met on the recruiting trail. He, he had just gotten a job at LSU, and LSU was doing uh, an off-season seven-on-seven camp, and, and Brady was out there, and Arch had pulled up, and there was a, a small window of one-on-one time where – 
they had uh, the ability to, to, to form a relationship. And then, of course, LSU went on to have the season that they did offensively, and, and Burrow went on to, to win the awards and, went, and, and obviously was the number one pick. And, look, if, if it was still status quo, I think LSU would may have a commitment for March at this point. Um, but, but it being in, in the state that it is, you know, look, I, I think that um, LSU's got some work to do. Uh, I think that they, they are a candidate. How true they are at this point, I still don't know. I, I think that, you know, bringing Pete's and bringing Mangus into the fold uh, did them some good as far as the, the relationship goes on just the football front. Um, but, you know, look, man, this, this is still a Manning, and this is still LSU. And, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it, it'll have to be a uh, – it, it'll, to, to, it'll be something that people have to see to believe – really, if, if that was going to happen. I, you know, I think that right now it's obvious that he had a, a pretty explosive weekend at Clemson and uh, working out for, for Dabo and that crew uh, over in South Carolina this weekend. Uh, if you saw the Alabama extension to their head coach, Nick Saban, that runs through 2029, it's no coincidence that that would be Arch's final year of eligibility. I think that that is something that Nick Saban has sold the Mannings on for the last two seasons, that he wants Arch to really be the last big-time quarterback recruit that he coaches, develops, and ends his career with, and that's something that Saban is 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 you know doing his uh, his his classic work on. Um, and, and I think you know Ole Miss, LSU, you know all the big-time play. I think Steve Sar- uh, Sarkeesian in Texas has done a really good job in talking to some people close to the Newman program down there. Sark, you know, did a really good job in leading that recruitment over at Alabama, and he's carried that relationship over into Austin. And, you know, he's been pretty impressive from what I've been told for, for, for the Mannings. And, you know, Texas is a school that makes a lot of sense for a kid like Arch. You know, these guys are going to be going into to their eligibility right into the teeth of name, image, and likeness, right? I mean, if you think about this class of, of 2023, I mean, they, they will have guys that will have come before them you know, guys like Derek Stingley Jr. and guys like Sam Hubbard and, or, or, or excuse me, Sam Howell out at North Carolina. There, there will be uh, there will be examples of people that have used name, image, and likeness into their their benefit. And these guys will be coming in with an opportunity of really having that kind of figured out. And schools like Texas have really done a, a tremendous job of, of of showing guys like Arch Manning on on what the benefit of that stuff could be like. So. Um, you know, it, it's going to be, it, it'll be a wild recruitment for people like you and I who cover recruitment. But I think, you know, internally, it's going to be very measured and very, uh, very much organized uh, to, to kind of broken down to a couple of schools. And, you know, I think that it, it'll be over before his senior season. And it, it, it'll be a decision that he, he probably sticks with just because of, of how he's handling the recruitment. I think that LSU has, you know, 20% chance right now. I think that there, there is, there's room to be made up. Um, and, you know, um, Ogeron is a masterful recruiter and, and this would be one of his, his great gets if he was able to bag Manning uh, and, and get him to Baton Rouge. So uh, right now I, I would put him outside looking in, but with a long time, uh, you know, and a long road to work. All right. He's Jordy Collada. You got to follow him at Jordy Collada on the social media. Follow the uh, Jordy Collada Show, which is live from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. every weekday, and head on over to JordyColladaShow.com. Jordy, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You got it, man. Thank you for having me.
All right, Shade, so that's it from uh, Jordy Collada. Just want to say thanks again. And uh, all the links to his show and his Twitter and everything like that, you can find that in the bio. Really appreciate him copping on the line and taking so much time to talk some LSU football. Hell yeah, they're going to appreciate that one. Unless they're talking about Coach O getting a new job next year, then I ain't going to be good. But I thought, I thought for me personally, um, you know, just to mm-hmm. look at the quarterback situation, you know, or lack thereof. I mean, it looks like we're gonna we're gonna have to stare at old Brad Johnson here for a couple more seasons. It sounds like my <laughs> damn father Cam's gonna be out, and uh, you know, and it was interesting about the tape. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you saw this, but you know, he's already got Heisman odds uh, coming out. Did you see that in Auburn? No, um, I can look yeah. that up real quick. Yeah, I was on the uh, DraftKings and. Uh, I, they're not sponsoring us, but I love the app, so we're going to roll with it. But it gave me a ten free $10 bet, so guess who I put it on? Oh, Tank. <laughs> I mean, because you never know, man. It was a long shot. I mean, it was a long shot, obviously. Uh, but yeah, you never know, man. Man, yeah. I mean, this might be one where you get on it early, you hit it big, you know? So Exactly. The Tank, man. I, I know Auburn fans don't want to hear it. I don't think – I think it would be very unlikely that uh, – Tank Finley is the starting quarterback out the gate, but mm-hmm. oh, here we go! It's uh, ten thousand to one. How much you put on it? Ten dollars. <laughs> oh, there you go, baby. I mean, you're going to be a rich, I mean, rich man on. here. I mean, is it free bet? Of course, I'm going to take the long <laughs> shot. You know, I don't even think any Tennessee volunteer was mentioned, so I had to go down the list there. <laughs> but uh, no. Um, so anyway, just. I, I just thought I like the insight, Mike. Um, great interview. I'm glad he was able to get on here. And, you know, he is a good follow on Twitter. I don't, you know, most of our listeners, they are on there anyway. And uh, you're looking for a few guys down there at LSU just to get the pulse of the program. That's a good one right there. Absolutely, Shane. Well, that's going to do it for this show. Unless you got anything before we hop off here. Uh, no, man. Like I said, been uh, working like a dog, just getting ready for football. Things slowed down a little bit for me in the fall. So, uh, we'll definitely uh, start. I mean, I gotta, Mike. I gotta pause it for a second. I mean, what you've been able to do with the show's been fantastic. You've you've been able to get the content out. In fact, when I do drive to work, guess what I'm listening to? That <laughs> SCC podcast. So I hear every joke you make about me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I appreciate the listeners, man. Our reviews have been flying in, right? I mean, how many how many koozies did you send out this week? Oh, well, I sent out, uh, I believe, six just today, and we got some a couple more. I got to run down to the mailbox right now. So, yeah, you guys have really stepped it up with the five-star written reviews and been mailing out mm-hmm. those koozies to each and every one of you that does that. And, uh, uh, you know, that's just our way of saying thanks for each and every one of you that goes that little extra step. That's right, and I've been seeing them everywhere. Uh, like I said, we had the Hawaii, but uh, there was a couple beach pictures, a uh, mm-hmm. couple of camping pictures. You know, you got a cold beer, throw it in that koozie, take a picture of it, and send it to us. We'll be sure to retweet it. Absolutely, Shane. Well, that's going to do it. I appreciate you hopping on the line here. Appreciate all the listeners. Catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls.